Welcome to the program. We're recording, or I'm recording, on the 18th day of October 2021. Uh, today we're going to be getting into Revelation uh, that was given to John Taylor, September 26th, 1886. We're on part part six of Revelations 1880 to 1890, and we'll be on pages 30 through 37, um, as I've been doing lately. Uh, I will put it on the reader program and let it read through, which is a little over 19 minutes, and then I will read it and talk about the revelation itself. I probably won't be getting into all of the notes and everything, um, but I would like to read the revelation by itself. I really like this revelation. Um, I think it's one of the most important revelations uh, given after the prophet Joseph Smith's uh, demise. And uh, it's sad that it was never canonized. I think it would have been if the leaders of the church hadn't been hiding in the underground and trying not to get uh, captured by the federal government. But uh, if they would have just listened to this revelation, um, Things would be a whole lot different than they are today in the church. Um, there's other important revelations that we're going to talk about after this. Um, but this revelation was given to the president of the church in 1886, who was John Taylor. And as you're going to find out, there were many people who testified about this. And... Uh, well, I guess the church decided they didn't want to listen to Jesus Christ because they didn't. They just ignored it, like they do the United Orders and the Law of Consecration and uh, the Law of Adoption, uh, rebaptisms, the Gathering of Israel. I know everybody can make excuses, but pretty much they're ignoring a whole lot of things that were part of the restoration and the redemption, uh, for the redemption of Zion. And uh, they're becoming more, uh, in my opinion, more of a, uh, I don't know, more of, more like the churches of the world. I mean, yeah, they've got some things, but um, when they just ignore so much of what has been revealed, like the Adam-God doctrine, which Joseph Smith revealed. Uh, Brigham Young uh, talked more about it than Joseph did, but I believe Brigham learned it from Joseph. Uh, plural celestial marriage and all the other things. Well, it is what it is. And it's no wonder to me that Jesus said in section 85 of the Doctrine and Covenants that he would have to send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order, which implies it would become out of order. Uh, before I get into the reading, I did want to plug um, Radio Free Mormon. If you don't know who he is, check him out on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I don't really like his co-host, Bill Real. I can't stand him. In fact, he's blocked me. <laughs> on uh, TikTok because uh, <laughs> I was responding to him and I guess he didn't like what I was saying, but uh, he was a bishop 
and now he's an atheist, and I guess he can just throw all of his spiritual experiences out the window because he can justify it just like anybody else can. But um, I really like Radio Free Mormon, and I think even though I can't stand Bill real personally, uh, from what I can tell, I can't stand him, um, I do think that they do bring up a lot of good topics, and they did a YouTube live and podcast, whatever, and uh, I don't know, the one that they did last week, and today's the 18th, so whatever the day was last Wednesday, uh, I think that it, I think they're pretty valid, and I think that these are things that people should be listening to, and I don't share them on my Facebook or in any of my groups, but if you're listening to this podcast, you should go listen to theirs as well. So anyway, without any further ado, we'll get into Revelation of uh, September 26, 1886, Part 6 of Revelations, 1880 to 1890, pages 30 through 37. And if you want to read this book for free online, you can go to ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Click on Read Ogden's Books on the main page. And then scroll down to Revelations. It's in alphabetical order. There's a lot of books that he wrote. Um, anyway, it's Revelations 1880 to 1880 or to 1890. So here we go. This is the reader program. Like I said, it'll be 19, a little over 19 minutes. And then when that's done, we'll get into the uh, just me reading it and talking about the stuff that has been talked about. So here we go. Revelation of September the 26th, 1886, part 6 of Revelations, 1880-1890, pages 30-37, to 1886, Revelation given through John Taylor Centerville, Utah, Revelation given through President John Taylor on September the 26th, 1886 in Centerville, Utah. Everlasting covenants stand forever and are not revoked men to use their free agency pertaining to God's laws. 1. My son John, you have asked me concerning the new and everlasting covenant and how far it is binding upon my people. 2. Thus saith the Lord, all commandments that I give must be obeyed by those calling themselves by my name, unless they are revoked by me or by my authority, and how can I revoke an everlasting covenant? 3. For I the Lord am everlasting, and my everlasting covenants cannot be abrogated, nor done away with, but they stand forever. 4. Have I not given my word in great plainness on this subject? 5. Yet have not great numbers of my people been negligent in the observance of my laws and the keeping of my commandments, and yet have I borne with them these many years, and this because of their weakness because of the perilous times, and furthermore, it is more pleasing to me that men should use their free agency in regards to these matters. 6. Nevertheless, I the Lord do not change in my word in my covenants and my law do not. 7. And as I have heretofore said by my servant Joseph, all those who would enter into my glory must and shall obey my law. 8. 
And have I not commanded men that if they were Abraham's seed, and would enter into my glory, they must do the works of Abraham? 9. I have not revoked this law, nor will I, for it is everlasting, and those who will enter into my glory must obey the conditions thereof. Even so, Amen. Notes, Note 1. Tuesday, March the 29th, 1892. John W. Taylor spoke in relation to the manifesto, I do not know that thing was right, though I voted to sustain it, and will assist to maintain it. But among my father's papers I found a revelation given him of the Lord, and which is now in my possession, in which the Lord told him that the principle of plural marriage would never be overcome. Perez Taylor desired to have it suspended, but the Lord would not permit it to be done. At the close of John W.'s remarks, our meeting adjourned till tomorrow at 10 o'clock. I closed with prayer. Abraham H. Cannon Journal, March the 29th, 1892, page 2402. September the 1st, 1934. After reading some expressions in a letter ascribed to A.W., Ivans in which the foregoing revelation is referred to as an unsigned scrap of paper and dash a so-called revelation and dash the words of a man which were never submitted to the people of the church and are not binding, etc. I went up and talked with my sister Nellie Taylor, plural wife of John W. Taylor to learn what she knew about it. She says John W. referred to the circumstances on several occasions and told how his father was in hiding at the home of John Woolley at St. Herville the night it was received. That Lauren Woolley was on guard in the next room and witnessed a strange light under Perez. Taylor's Door Next day a message was sent to those of the Apostles then at home to meet Perez. T at St. Herville Bro Geo. Gibbs arranged for a sheep wagon well closed in and drove them up. John W. was asked to stand guard in the adjoining room. He said the revelation was submitted and received. The original was brought to the temple, but as there was danger of the temple being raided, it and other records were hidden by W.M. Summon. This copy was later given to John W., who asked his brother-in-law, Rodney Badger, to place it in a safety box at the bank where he worked. It was later returned to John W., Taylor, who kept it in his office. While in this office, Ellen Sandberg was his secretary. He married her as a plural wife. After John's death, Ellen kept the revelation and worked for Ellen Stoll who persuaded her to let him make photographic copies of it. Nellie says that one night after his death, John W. came to her with a troubled look on his face and it was made known to her that he was concerned about this revelation and dash the one given to John Taylor. Nellie went to Mill Creek at Neath and reluctantly surrendered it. Nellie took it to Frank Y. Taylor and asked that he deliver it to the church historian. Frank delayed and some inquiry was made about it. Nellie again saw him about it and Frank decided to surrender it but instead of taking it to the historian's office, he took it to Perez. 
Grant and asked him if it was genuine and in the handwriting of his father. Perez. Grant said it was. Bro. Taylor asked how he could get around it. I am not going to try to get around it, replied Perez. Grant. The revelation given to President Taylor September the 27th, 1886, is as well authenticated as any we have, and is just as sacred and just as true. It is from the Lord and set forth his mind and will at that time. It has been claimed by several that inasmuch as it never was presented to the church, it is not binding upon the church. That simply announces that unless we in conference vote to accept a commandment of God, we are not required to keep that particular commandment, which is not true. If God gave a commandment to 100 men and 60 of them rejected it, that would not affect the commandment. Of course, they couldn't obey the commandment till they heard it. This revelation could not be presented to the church when it was received and by the time it could be presented, we had already acted in a way quite opposite to its injunctions, so it was not presented to the members in conference at all, but that does not change the revelation. Anyone in the church who refers to any one of these revelations received by President Taylor or Apostle or President Woodruff as purported, so-called, pretended, or as scraps of paper not binding, because they were never accepted by the church, or as being received when an apostle, is sowing confusion for himself and the church to reap. Excerpts from the Journal of Douglas M. Todd, Sr. 1. 10-13, Note 3. The following excerpts were taken from the trial of John W. Taylor, held in the Salt Lake Temple, February the 22nd and March the 1st, 1911. Apostle John W. Taylor, my father received a revelation which however was never presented to the church, and I refer to this not because it was a revelation to my father. I don't think a revelation, because it came through him was any greater than one receiver through any other president of the church, but because it seems to pertain to this question. The revelation was read by Brother Penrose. Apostle John W. Taylor, there are two things I am drawing your attention to. I am not in politics, and very little in the church, but I do this as a matter of privilege. This revelation is either true or it is false. Assuming that it is true, it seems to me that it would be better to offer leniency on the side of the Lord if you are going to offer any leniency than on the side of politics. Brother Liman, what do you think of the revelation to my father? President Francis M. Liman, if you ask me if I believe in the plurality of wives, I would say that I believe it is true and will always be so, but the Lord must suspend the practice of it, and how much of the responsibility remains with the people and with the government, I don't know. I am living with my wives now all the time, but I don't hold the church responsible for it but shoulder the responsibility myself. I have no fault to find with the revelation. Apostle Charles W. Penrose, 
Do you understand the free agency referred to in the revelation gives anyone the privilege of taking a plural wife? Apostle John W. Taylor, I take it that it refers to the individual and relieved the church of the responsibility and placed the responsibility upon the individual. President Francis M. Liman, when did you find this revelation? Apostle John W. Taylor, I found it on his desk immediately after his death, when I was appointed administrator of his estate. President Francis M. Liman, do you think anyone can solemnize plural marriages with authority now? Apostle John W. Taylor, I feel under certain circumstances they could, but it would depend on the circumstances. President Francis M. Liman, what conditions? Apostle John W. Taylor, I fully explained that last time. Apostle Charles W. Penrose, what are your views with regard to that revelation? Apostle John W. Taylor, I am not the one to pass upon that revelation. I think you are the ones to do that. Apostle Charles W. Penrose, what I desire to get at is as to how you view the matter, whether you have been guided by that in your case. You brought the revelation to us and it has never been accepted by the church or presented to it. Apostle John W. Taylor, I think the only thing to do is to go to the presiding priesthood of the Lord and get his idea on it and get him to inquire of the Lord what his mind is regarding it. Apostle Charles W. Penrose, I don't think Brother Taylor should come here and tell us what we need to do. But what I wanted to know is what he thought the president meant by the revelation, whether the man was placed upon his own responsibility by that revelation and the president and church relieved of all responsibility or not. Apostle Anthony W. Ivans, do you know how extensively this revelation has been circulated in times past and has guided people in their actions in this regard? Apostle John W. Taylor, Brother Joseph Robinson came to me and asked for a copy of it upon the suggestion of Brother Cowley and he got it from Brother Badger. Brother Joseph F. Smith, Jr. also got a copy, but I don't know how many have got copies from these. Apostle Anthony W. Ivans, you don't know what inference was placed upon it in early times? Apostle John W. Taylor, no, I don't know. Apostle Anthony W. Ivans, I ask this question because I have heard some of the brethren interpret this revelation in this way, and I would like to find out to what extent they had the endorsement of the church in view of this revelation, and what was the reason these brethren went to Canada and Mexico. Do you know what they base their belief upon? As they seemed to be sincere. Whether it was from this revelation, or from the president of the church, or from what grounds were taken that they could come in contact with the law of the land and still win out. I would like to know from Brother Taylor what he knows about this, and if they were justified in it. Apostle John W. Taylor, President Smith has come out on numerous occasions with the statement that there have been no marriages of a polygamous nature solemnized with the approval of the church since 1890. 
He stands at the head of this dispensation at this moment and has adopted that policy. And as far as I am concerned, I don't want to come in conflict with President Smith on this proposition. I don't know what others have taken from this revelation. If the revelation is true, it would certainly impress me that the church was relieved of responsibility in this matter and the responsibility placed upon the individual. Apostle Osanet Whitney, was it not the policy during your father's administration to leave everything to the mind of the individual? I know this was the case with me when I went to inquire if I should take the test oath. I was told to exercise my own judgment. Also there is no authority as far as I can see in that revelation, no authority given to man to exercise such authority in marrying anyone, but the question of whether they should go into the relationship was left with the individual, as in President Young's time men were commanded to go into it. Apostle Charles W. Penrose, I feel that we should not express our own views on this revelation, but should have Brother Taylor's views if he will give them. If not, we can get through with that question. President Francis M. Liman, the date of this revelation is September 1886, four years before the manifesto of President Woodruff, and I remember at that time that President Taylor and all his brethren were very strongly entrenched in the principle of plural marriage. From 1880 to 1890 men were almost commanded to enter it, especially the officials of the church. We were all pretty well engaged in this question. The change came in 1890 when President Woodruff felt the necessity that plural marriage should cease and after that he felt just as strong against it, as President Taylor had felt for it before. It was subsequent to this that President Smith made his declaration that the church took no responsibility for the unlawful cohabitation of those in plural marriage and the performance of plural marriages. I would like to ask if you have encouraged others to take plural wives, or taken them yourself or if you think these brethren who have copies of this revelation have taken it as an encouragement, for instance, Brother Robinson. Apostle John W. Taylor, I will answer that by asking if anyone you have had here before you has ever said that I encouraged him. President Francis M. Liman, no one except Wolf and you admit having encouraged him under the direction of a superior officer. Apostle David O. McKay, I would like to know who the man is that directed you to instruct Brother Wolf to marry a certain party. Apostle John W. Taylor, I would not wish to take issue with the president of the church or anyone who is at the head of the church. I went to President Smith's office the other day and had a three and one half hour talk with him and John Henry Smith and he said that he had never authorized anyone to perform a plural marriage. I am not saying that he is the one to whom I refer, but I do not want to say any more on this point. Apostle Hiram M. Smith, I would like Brother Taylor to feel that we are not persuading him or any other man to do harm, but simply to get at the bottom of these matters. I feel that you are responsible for the circulation of that revelation. Apostle John W. Taylor, I am willing to put in a supplemental answer to the effect that I have never married anyone without the endorsement and authority of the President of the Church and, if you desire, I will give the names of those I have married, but I think it would be unwise.
Apostle Charles W. Penrose, under this purported revelation from your father, do you think this authority is given to anyone to perform a plural marriage on their own free agency? John W. Taylor, if a man had been authorized in any way by authority to perform a marriage, under that revelation he would be. Minutes from special meetings, of Quorum of Twelve, Salt Lake Temple, February the 22nd and March the 1st, 1911, 38. Okay, so that was the reading of Revelation September 26th, 1886. Uh, I'll go over it now uh, with my own voice and commentary. 1886 Revelation given through John Taylor, Centerville, Utah. Revelation given through the President of the Church, John Taylor, on September 26, 1886 in Centerville, Utah. Everlasting covenants stand forever and are not revoked. Men may are men to use their free agency pertaining to God's laws. Verse 1. This is Jesus Christ speaking. Jesus Christ was speaking to John Taylor face to face in person. My son John, you have asked me concerning the new and everlasting covenant and how far it is binding upon my people. The reason he was asking this is because the government was coming down on him with all these unconstitutional laws and uh, seizing property from the church, throwing leaders and members into prison they had sent out Johnston's army to destroy the church uh, luckily uh, Brigham through his guerrilla tactics really were able to steal the cattle well they didn't steal the cattle um, they would just go in and like let all the animals loose and then the army would have to like you know, go chase them down, and there was uh, winter storms that were coming in the spring, late spring, that really slowed Johnston's army down with the combined tac tactics of Brigham Young and his guys. Uh, by the time they got to Salt Lake City, Utah, they were low on provisions, pretty much not emaciated, but really worn out, and... Uh, it's kind of funny because Brigham Young welcomed him in and basically said, we'll sell you food if you give us your guns and your cannon. And that's how the Mormon battalion got armed with a big old cannon from courtesy of the uh, United States government. Anyway, but so like I've said many times in the past if if you're a threat to the devil's kingdom he's going to come after you with everything that you've got and if you're not a threat to the kingdom or to his kingdom then he's going to leave you alone so there was a lot of persecution in the church they gave in on a lot of principles they gave up a lot of things they gave up a ton in 1890 and uh, over time the church has become friends with the world and not only just the world, but like the big players in the world, like uh, Heber J. Grant, who was, I believe, the seventh president of the church, 
talked about how great it was that, like, in his lifetime, he remembered all these mobbings and persecution. But by the time he got he becomes president in the 1820s, like, people are accepting of the LDS people for the most part. I mean, yeah, they're a little weird. They did polygamy. They they're a little bit off, but you know, the the big bankers of the world started liking the Mormon church. Um, Wilfred Woodruff was actually a keynote speaker to one of their big banking clubs that's called the Bohemian Club. In fact, the day after he was the keynote speaker in San Francisco, he died, uh, many believe, of poisoning. So the leaders of the church and the members of the church just gave up their birthright and they continued to to let go of things and to change things to become more one with the world instead of one with their husband Jesus and uh, basically they go whoring themselves off after Babylon the Great in order to seek popularity to gain more converts and in my opinion grab more tithing money and more offering money which they would not have been able to do if they continued on preaching the restored gospel in its fullness. Anyway, but continuing, this is verse 2. Thus saith the Lord, so this is Jesus, all commandments that I give must be obeyed by those calling themselves by my name, unless they are revoked by me or by my authority. And how can I revoke an everlasting covenant? See, these things that are part of the restoration, which included plural celestial marriage, are eternal laws. The church doesn't have to obey them. They have free agency, just like every other group and every other church and every other people on the face of the planet. But if they revoke or ignore certain things, there are going to be consequences of their actions. Like, for instance... You don't hear anymore, thus saith the Lord Revelations. Jesus Christ does not appear to his people. I mean, I know Wendy Nelson tried to, like, pretend like there was this gathering. Well, in General Conference, a couple years, well, maybe it wasn't General Conference. Anyway, but she was talking about, what if I told you that Jesus Christ had already appeared to a great many of the leaders of this church and... And she goes on and on about this this hypothetical situation that she's trying to like make it sound like this is really happening, except for she doesn't know the scriptures because Jesus Christ gave a revelation that said, I will not come secretly among my people. I will come in the clouds of the air and everybody will see me at my coming. So this whole idea that Jesus is going to come, I mean... He'll come to people individually, but he said in the Revelations and the Doctrine and Covenants, I'm not going to come secretly. So this whole thing about Joseph Smith talking about the Messiah will be uh, come as naturally as, you know, before the second coming. He was talking about Messiah ben Joseph, not Messiah ben Judah. There's two Messiahs. There's one Messiah that breaks the bonds of death and hell. That is Yeshua 
we call him Jesus Christ. But there is a political Messiah that breaks the bonds of Babylon the Great, and he is a military leader, and he comes as an Elias, like a, a greater than John the Baptist, to prepare the way for the coming of not only Jesus, but Father Adam and all the holy prophets, Adam and Andiamen. When Joseph Smith was talking about uh, Christ, which is a title, or the Messiah walking naturally among his people, well, if you're thinking it's Jesus Christ, well, that would obviously contradict what Jesus himself said about not coming secretly among the people. That When he came back, everybody was going to see him. Joseph Smith was not talking about him, but Joseph Smith knew that God the Witness, who you call the Holy Ghost, who the, the Jews call the Ruach HaKodesh, would come as naturally as one man among the people. And Joseph and Rabbi Yitzhak Kadori both said that people would say, is this the Messiah? That's because there's more than one. There's a Messiah ben Joseph, who is not, is not Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith said that this, this would happen in the future. He also said that the Holy Ghost is waiting to take himself a body to come to do the same or similar things that Jesus had done. And these people that believe that Joseph Smith is God the witness, it contradicts section 130 where Jesus Christ tells them that the Holy Ghost does not at that time have a body when Joseph Smith is alive on the earth with a body. Also, I want to say one other thing before I continue the reading. This idea that Joseph Smith is the Davidic servant is... It's wrong. I'm sorry it's wrong. When Peter, James, and John passed the keys that had gone all the way down through the Jewish lines through the Davidic lines from Peter, James, and John to Joseph Smith the prophecy was fulfilled that the keys of the kingdom basically will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes Joseph Smith was a pure Ephraimite. He was not from the line of David. He cannot be the Davidic servant. When that happened, the keys passed from Judah with Peter, James, and John to a pure Ephraimite who God calls Shiloh, who is Joseph Smith. After Joseph Smith comes, there, w- there will be, there is actually on the earth right now, a Davidic servant who is a direct descendant of King David. It is partly of the house of Judah and partly of the house of Ephraim. That is the Davidic servant. And he is Mashiach ben Yosef or Messiah ben Joseph or God the witness come on the earth. And if you've heard me talk about this before, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, Listen to my programs. You'll figure it out if you're listening. Joseph Smith was Shiloh. He was a pure Ephraimite. 
he is not the Davidic servant. He is not coming back to do the work of the Davidic servant. Period. End of story. I know what I know that there's a or there's groups out there, and I'm sorry. I like a lot of you, but you're acting in a judiscope in this way because you're looking for something that is not going to happen. Joseph Smith is not the Davidic servant. In order for Joseph Smith to be the Davidic servant, he would have to be a direct descendant of King David, and thus partly a Jew. And when the keys were passed from from the Jewish lines to Joseph Smith, the prophecy was fulfilled in Genesis chapter 49 that the keys of keys of uh, the kingdom would not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. Some people think that Shiloh and Jesus are the same person, but Jesus was Jewish. He was a Davidic servant. He was from the house of David and Judah, the tribe of Judah. So the prophecy was not fulfilled when the keys were given to Jesus because they did not depart from Judah when Jesus came because he was a Jew. They did not depart from Judah when Peter, James, and John came because they were Jewish. But when they departed from those Jews... To Joseph Smith, the prophecy was fulfilled that the, that the keys would be held by Judah until Shiloh comes, which tells you that Shiloh is not from the house of Judah. We know in the Old Testament it talks about the birthright being given to Ephraim through the house of Joseph. Joseph Smith was a pure Ephraimite. His ancestry wasn't English, like a lot of people think it is. He was actually uh, a descendant of royalty from Scotland. The Smith didn't come from England, and actually that Smith line came from Scotland. A lot of people don't know that. But anyway, continuing on with the reading of this revelation. Well, I'll read verse 2 again. Thus saith the Lord, all commandments that I give must be obeyed by those calling themselves by my name. Okay, so all of these other commandments, that it all applies. Every other, the gathering to this continent in this center place, uh, North America, that's a commandment. United orders are a commandment. It is not given for one man to own that which above is above another for the whole world life and sin. And if you'll be a Zion people, you must be equal in all things, which are part of the United Orders and the Law of Consecration. That's all part of it. And when people don't obey these laws, they cannot call themselves by his name. Continuing on with Jesus unless they are revoked by me or by my authority, and how can I revoke an everlasting covenant? Verse 3, For I, the Lord, am everlasting, and my everlasting covenants cannot be abrogated nor done away with, but they stand forever. The word abrogated is a word that we don't usually use, 
but it, it means to repeal or do away with. He cannot repeal or do away with. And, or it means also to evade or revoke or overrule or rescind or overturn or override or do away with or annul or cancel, break off, to make invalid, to nullify, to void, negate or dissolve. That's what that word means. Everlasting everlasting covenants cannot be abrogated or done away with, but they stand forever. Verse 4. Have I not given my word in great plainness on this subject? Verse 5. Yet have not great numbers of my people been negligent in the observance of my laws and the keeping of my commandments and yet I have borne with them these many years and this because of their weakness because of the perilous times and furthermore it is more pleasing to me that men should use their free agency in regard to these matters because it is not given for uh, no how does it go Basically, if he has to command you in all things, you're a slothful servant. That's a principle. That's in the scriptures, in the restored scriptures. He's given you the commandments. He expects you to keep them. He gives you free agency. If you don't keep them, you're disobeying his commandments, no matter who justifies it, no matter... You know, what excuses some leader or whatever comes up with. And it just reminds me of of Nephi's vision where he's, before he gets to the tree of life, he's going through this foggy, dark area. And, and he follows this religious man. And the religious man leads him off into the fog and darkness of the world. And it's not until he turns to God and pleads out to God that he's led back to the iron rod, which is the word of God in Jesus Christ. And then he finds his way to the tree of life. And I don't care what religious man you follow. If you do not follow God first, every single religious man, no matter who they are, will lead you astray. In fact, even those who follow Jesus Christ without revelation to know what the correct interpretation of Scripture is are some of they who are terrestrial. And I think it's DNC section 76. It talks about these are they who are some of one, some of another, and then it goes through this long list. But Jesus Christ is in that list. There are lots of people who follow what they think Jesus says, but they don't turn to God to find out by revelation for themselves to know if their interpretation of Scripture is correct. Now you've got literally thousands and thousands of different denominations with all kinds of crazy beliefs. And I'm sorry, but Ephesians chapter 4 says that there is one God one faith, and one baptism. But yet, there's all of these different ideas, and they can't all be true. 
There is one correct interpretation of Scripture, and the only way you're ever going to find any interpretation of Scripture is by revelation. And true teachers will teach you what they know and things that they believe, which they're working out for themselves. But really, you have to go to God to find out what the truth is on every topic. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. When I finally finally figured that out, I had to go back to what I knew was true by revelation. And then I had to stop trying to um, assume because there's a lot of assumptions in all of all of the world and I had to say okay these are the things that I know by revelation and these are the things that I assume and then I started working it out line upon line precept upon precept I believed certain things that were not true and sometimes it's hard to get over those beliefs when you believe something is true but you don't get revelation and you just assume, there's another principle that applies. It's found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4. All they who believe the lie, which is the lie of false doctrine, receive strong delusion that they might be damned because they did not love the truth. And I would go on to say because they didn't love the truth enough to go to God, our Father, and find out if it was correct. Anyway, verse 6, Nevertheless, I, the Lord, do not change, and my words and my covenants and my laws do not. Verse 7, And as I have heretofore said by my servant Joseph, all those who would enter into my glory must and shall obey my law. See, there's a lot of people in the church today that they believe that they're going to receive exaltation because they check off this list of things that the church tells them that they need to do. And the church makes excuses, and it's a great test whether you're going to follow man or you're going to follow God because there's a curse that comes in trusting in the flesh, right? That applies to all flesh. It applies to even those who trust and follow me. If you don't go to God to get revelation for yourself and you just follow after somebody in the flesh, there is a curse that comes along with that. We are the children of God. And he wants to speak to us directly. And anybody who tells you otherwise is a Judas goat that is leading you astray. People who want to be in the highest levels of of the celestial kingdom have to follow the laws or at least be willing to follow the laws if they can't. So the law of consecration is something that you can do. You can consecrate yourself, but without there being a people that will live the united order, you can't really do that by yourself. But if you're open to it and ready for it, and and when it's available to you, move towards that, then, you know, then you receive the blessings of it. But those who, who on one side say that they believe all these things, but they don't do it, well, obedience is key. Noah didn't get saved 
by believing that there should be an ark. He got saved physically, temporally, by being obedient to God's commandments. Nobody else did. All these other people, they could have even believed Noah's a true prophet. But they didn't obey. They were not obedient and they perished in the flood when the flood came. Anyway, we're on page 31 and verse 8. And have I not commanded my men that if they were Abraham's seed and would enter into my glory, they must do the works of Abraham? Abraham was obedient to God's words. Very obedient. He also had plural wives. And I know the Bible doesn't talk about this, but I know that he had more than the Bible talks about. But so did Jacob, and so did, well, Isaac. We know about one in the Bible, but we know that he had more than one through modern-day revelation as well. But, but, And I've explained why plural celestial marriage is so important, and I'm not going to do that on this program. If you want to know about that, you can go listen to my other programs. But anyway, verse 9, I have not revoked this law nor will I. The lies talking about, John Taylor went because he wanted to know if they could do away with plural celestial marriage. Because if they could just do that, they could get the government off their back and stop having property seized and money seized and being thrown into prison. So that's what this whole revelation is about. That's what John Taylor went to ask about. And Jesus says, I have not revoked this law, nor will I, for it is everlasting. And those who will enter into my glory must obey the conditions thereof. Even so, amen. So like I said, uh, we already covered all the notes in the reading program portion of this. I'm not going to go over that. You can read that at ogdenkraut.com, like I said. I will be posting this in all of my groups and on all of my pages so you can read the whole thing. All the text is going to be there and on my Tumblr. Uh, the Tumblr account is tumblr.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. So anyway, but that's the program for today. Um, sorry I didn't come on last week. I was exhausted. I actually worked 68 and a half hours last week. And that doesn't include the time I was trying to clean the truck out and get it ready for the next guy. That's just work work time. Um, yeah, and I was exhausted. I, I worked a lot. Anyway, so uh, we're in the middle of buying a house. And we have a lot of stuff we've got to do. It's ridiculous. Anyway, but um, so I will be on when I can be on, but I got home early today because I knew I couldn't make another load and getting back in time to get the truck fueled up pre-trip or post-tripped and cleaned out. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to get home early, which I did. I got home around 4.30 in the morning and, uh, and so I was able to do this today. So I'll try to do another one tomorrow, which 
will be um, the 19th of October 2021, which is a Tuesday. Um, and if I'm able to get that out, I'll I'll, prob- I'll try to get it out before 8 in the morning. So anyway, but uh, thank you everyone for listening to this program. And please, if it's something that you think is interesting or valid, please share it with your friends. Uh, share it in Messenger. Uh, share it in your groups. Um Go to iTunes and give me a good review there uh, so that you can help with the podcast rankings. And uh, I'm just, I'm grateful for those of you who do listen and do respond. Now, I can't, I cannot respond to everybody who taught or like comments um, on Facebook with, when I post everything, people comment. I would love to be able to respond. I just don't have time. I, I wish I did, but I, I just don't. So I try to respond a little bit here, there, and where I can. Now, um, just because I don't respond doesn't mean I don't read it. I, do, I try to read everything that people send me, all the messages in Messenger, all the emails, uh, the YouTube account. When people comment, I try to read everything. And I wish I could respond to a whole lot more, but I'm a working man, and this is my job that I do, that God has asked me to do, Um, and uh, I don't get paid for it. I have to work so I can afford the house and the tractor for the farm and the goats and the vehicles and all the things. So, um, doing the best I can, but I am grateful for everyone who listens. So anyway, that's the end of the program. Thank you for listening, everyone. Take care. God bless and goodbye.